Heavenly Father, as we come today to open your word, God, we're, we're so thankful already for how you blessed us, this time of, of fellowship and encouragement, singing your praises, of acknowledging your greatness and your worth, and your power and your majesty. God, I pray that you would use this time uh, to even uh, further uh, that knowledge, that understanding of, of who you are and uh, who we are in you, God. I pray that you would help us to, uh, to rejoice in the salvation that you have provided for us, in the, the calling you placed upon our lives and on our hearts. Um, God, just use this time for your purposes. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, I need to apologize just before I get started. I don't have slides this morning. Uh, normally I have those for you, but uh, this weekend was really crazy, and so I just was not able to get those produced. They will be back uh, again, uh, but this weekend it just didn't happen. So my heartfelt apology for that. I know many of you have uh, commented on how much you appreciate those. And so I want to express my failure in, in that regard. So uh, we are moving through the book of Philemon. And uh, we've spent a couple weeks here already looking at the relationship between Paul and Philemon and, and what kind of relationship, what kind of connection uh, could lead to the type of letter that we read here. Um, the kind of connection that we find in Christ, the kind of connection that we find as fellow believers uh, is behind that. And then, and then last week we looked at the, the issue of, of growing in faith and what exactly that looks like and, and, and how that might find expression uh, in our life. And we looked at you know Paul's phrase there where he talks about uh, that you would have the fellowship in the faith and, and, and the variety of meanings for that word koinonia and, and how that brings out the, the, the reality of, of all that is involved in our faith process, all that is involved in our connection with God. And this week, I, I want to move through the rest of the letter. It's not a big letter. It's uh, only 25 verses. Uh, and I want to look just at what I believe is the heart of this particular passage, and that is the power of the gospel and what the gospel can do uh, in our lives and in our circumstances, and, and in transforming situations that sometimes seem uh, not to be uh, transformable. Uh, I'm not even sure that's a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, but um, so let's uh, let's take a look here at, at Philemon, and just to, to again to kind of fill in some of the the, the aspects, the background of this. Uh, Paul is at this point in his life; he's in prison. And we've talked about the, the, the variety of places he could be. He could be in Ephesus. He could be in Caesarea. He could be in Rome. Um, we're not really certain which of those three he's, he's in. Uh, but it, it, is a, it is a time of imprisonment. It's a time of, of, in some ways, kind of concern over his future, over what God's going to do next and, and how God's going to continue to use him. But as he's there in prison, he, he gets a visitor. He gets a visitor from uh, a man named Onesimus, and we're not sure how Onesimus comes to him. Uh, some scholars are of the opinion that Onesimus has run away uh, as a slave. He has uh, escaped his, his um, enslavement, as it were, and found his way to Paul, having heard Paul preach there uh, in the, the area of Colossae and so forth before. Um, Onesimus knew, knows that the apostle is somebody who preaches freedom. 
somebody who advocates for those who are in bondage, finding freedom and release and deliverance. And so perhaps he's found his way to Paul because of that connection. Uh, another view is that uh, he is there because Philemon sent him there. That that, that is uh, what has in fact happened, that Philemon, realizing that Paul is in prison, he sent his slave to minister to Paul, to, to help Paul in this environment. Uh, but regardless of how he came to the situation, Onesimus wants his freedom. He wants to be released from the slavery that is a part of his, his reality, part of his experience. It could be that, again, as, as Philemon sent him, now he gets to Paul and, and he knows of Paul's sermons, and he says, you know what, Paul, I want you to, if you could, if you would, I want you to advocate for me. I want you to write a letter to Philemon and say, let this guy go. Or it could be that he's shown up there and he's a runaway slave and he's like, Paul, uh, you know, I've made this decision, I've run away, and uh, I know that's not the best way to work in life and in circumstances, situations. So, Paul, I want you to write a letter uh, to, to Philemon and, and to help us regain the connection we, we once had or, or help me back into that circumstance. We're not really sure what exactly has led to this, but in any case, Onesimus is a slave. Now, slavery in Rome had a lot of differences to it than slavery in our culture, in, in our understanding and perceptions of slavery. And usually in, in our culture, uh, in America's past and so forth, we experience slavery by, by uh, capturing or, or uh, kidnapping individuals, whole populations, and taking them and putting them into subservience without any hope of freedom. We've used them. We've abused them. We have manipulated their circumstances and their situation for our purposes. And so a lot of times when you read a book or a passage from the Bible that talks about slavery, that's the mindset we have. That's, that's the perspective we come at it with, and, and that is truly an abhorrent reality. It's something that we wouldn't want to be a part of, and, and we might be puzzled just a little bit about why such a reality would be present in Christian scriptures, why that would take part. And while Rome did have that type of slavery as well, it wasn't the majority uh, means of how slavery functioned in Rome. Slavery in Rome was uh, usually, uh, actually it was more of an economic reality than it was anything else. Usually you entered into slavery because you had taken out too much debt. You had borrowed beyond your means, you had borrowed beyond your ability to repay, and so as part of an agreement with a person who had paid off your debt, who, who had paid off your loan or whatever, you agreed to work for a certain amount of time, and there was a very real expectation that after that time you would be released. You would be freed. Now, sometimes, in fact, people entered into slavery to, to actually learn a trade. The, there was a certain individual, there was a certain person there in the town in which they lived who was very gifted in a particular skill and in a specific trade and so forth. And so uh, that person wanted to learn that trade, wanted to be able to, to, uh, um, to, to grow and improve their standing in the society and the culture. And so they would enter into agreement with that master for a time to... to be their slave, to do whatever they told them to do, to, to be under their control. And uh, they would be trained in that trade. And then at the end of, of whatever that training was worth, having worked that off, then they would be released. Okay. 
Now, we don't know exactly the nature of Onesimus' slavery. We don't know if it was you know, the, the type that we often think of or if it was for training or if it was for some debt or whatever. But whatever it is, he's still very much in that situation. He's still very much enslaved. Um, and, and just on many levels, that is troubling. Okay? For one human to own another human, regardless of the reasons, regardless of how much one person, the, the, the person who's being owned, agreed to the stipulation. It's still a reprehensible reality. Humanity is worth just because we're humans. We, we have worth, we have value just because we're humans. And no human should ever own another human. And we're going to address how that plays out in terms of the book of Philemon here toward the end. But, but it's important for us to, to understand that this, this idea and this reality of slavery is, I think, a, a big part of, of Paul's approach. That as Paul addresses elsewhere, we are all, as humans, slaves to sin. And there is a way that you get out of that slavery to sin. There's a way that you move from that status to a freeman status. And that's the grace of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the work that Christ accomplished on the cross. And I, so I think that's going to feed into, as well, Paul's approach to this issue. Because one of the issues you sometimes face when people are dealing with Philemon is, why didn't Paul just say slavery is wrong, end it? As I hear people commenting on the book and, and, and writing about the, the archaicness of Scripture and those sorts of things, that, that's one of the most common arguments I hear about this particular book is, why didn't Paul just say, slavery's wrong? Stop doing it, Philemon. Because Paul has a concept of freedom and deliverance in which he, he's expressed it in many other places, and we've talked about it. Where if you impose a law on somebody, what's that going to do? It's going to cause them to rebel. We've talked about this many times. You're walking down the street. You, you, you walk by a bench, a park bench that's there on the street. You walked by it hundreds of times before. Never once paid any attention to that park bench. But one particular day, you're walking by and there's a sign on it that says, wet paint, don't touch. And suddenly, that park bench that you walked by hundreds of times before is very interesting to you. And you want to touch it. Never gave it a second thought before, but now, now, now you just got to. If Paul comes out and says, slavery is evil, slavery is wrong, slavery is, is you know, not appropriate, the human tendency with such laws, with such impositions is what? It's to push back. It's to resist. And so Paul wants... Philemon to, to draw those conclusions on his own, and he's going to do that through the lens of the gospel. And as we see Paul expressing these ideas about the gospel, we can gain some, some real insights into the power of gospel. And so let's begin reading in, in, in verse 8, and as we do, I want you to, to just take note of how many times Paul writes, in Christ, or in the Lord, or of the Lord, or of Christ, in, in this passage. He says, for this reason... Although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, 
I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he is separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greeting. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The whole tone of Paul's letter here oozes with the gospel. His reflections upon uh, in Christ, his reflections upon in the Lord. But, but he also talks about how he didn't want to do this out of out of obedience or out of compulsion, but what as a, as a free response out of your own free will? I want you to do this, and that is very much the nature of the gospel that we proclaim. It is it is not a compulsion. It's not an imposition from God onto us. It's not God demanding obedience, as it were. It's God inviting us to experience life to its fullest. It's God, it's God calling us to repent. It's God calling us and challenging us to, to walk a new way, but not in the sense of this imposition of force, but in a sense of offer of something better, something greater. And so as we look at what Paul has to say about the gospel here, we, we note, several realities about what the gospel can accomplish. The first thing we note is that the change the gospel brings is total, it's real, and it's practical. Paul's anticipation of renewed relationship between Philemon and Onesimus is built upon the radical understanding of what the gospel had done for both Onesimus and Philemon. We see the gospel as, as, a, as a total reality. We talked about this, we, we really focused upon this last week. Sharing of your faith in verse 6. The sharing there is, is not necessarily evangelism. Also, as we talked last week, it, it's a part of it. It's, it's koinonia. It's, it's total participation 
in faith. It, it's total involvement. On top of that, Paul talks about how Onesimus is, uh, he is now the father to Onesimus. Literally, he has been birthed in my bonds. It, he's experienced a new birth. Whereas before he was useless to you, now he is useful. And, and that goes right to the heart of Onesimus' name. He, he's playing off of that. Onesimus means useful. He's saying, whereas before, yeah, he, he may have done some things around the house for you, or, or he may have accomplished those things. Ultimately, in the eternal realm, in the fellowship of the saints, where things really matter, he wasn't of use to you. But now he is. Because he has experienced this total transformation. He has experienced this new birth. And when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the experience of accepting Christ, is usually the verbiage, the, the language that we use today, we need to understand, we need to remember that it is a total transformation. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. All things have passed away. Jesus makes all things new. And that's true whether you came to Christ at, at, a, at a young age, uh, seven, eight, nine, something, somewhere around there, or if you just came to Christ recently, the, the work of the gospel is a work of transformation, of total transformation. The, the word that's often used is, is metamorphosis. You, you don't look the same the way you did before. You don't act the way you did before. In many ways, you're not the same person you were before. Not only is it total, it's, it's real. Philemon, he uses a, the, the phrase grace and peace in referring to Philemon. That's where we started this whole journey, this, this discussion, this, this connection between Paul and Philemon. That whereas Paul had led Philemon to the Lord some, some time in the past, that has grown to a connection of, of peace, of standing in a new situation, new circumstance. And he says, I'm sending Onesimus back. He's no longer running away. He's no longer living out a, an experience that is uh, contrary to his connection with you, contrary to his connection with Paul a connection that's been born by the relationship with Jesus Christ. When we talked about this previously, that, that in this room, there's a variety of backgrounds. There's a variety of perspectives. There's a variety of personalities. That I, I, I can imagine that in any other circumstance, many of you would not have anything to do with others of you. You, you you wouldn't spend any, you wouldn't go to restaurants together you wouldn't you know you you wouldn't hang out together you have very little in common you probably don't like the same TV shows I don't know you know but in Christ what you have a connection that 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 supersedes all of that all of those differences all of those distinctions all of those things that would otherwise separate us in Christ we can find unity we can find purpose we can find direction. The gospel is real in what it does, and it's practical. For Philemon, he says in verse 7, that you have much 
much joy and comfort. For Onesimus, he says in verse 11, you're now useful. There is a, there's a realness. There, there's a practicalness. There's, it's not just theoretical. It's not just about someday I'm going to go to heaven. Someday I'm going to enjoy Christ's presence. Someday I'm going to encounter uh, you know, the wonders and joys of Christianity. The gospel says right now, right here, in this world, in this time, in this space, despite all the chaos, despite all the craziness, despite all the hardships that are going on out there, we have a connection with Christ that makes a practical difference in how we live. We sing sometimes, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. It's a favorite song of, of so many of us, I know. But think about the, the essence of what that says. Because of the resurrection, because of the gospel, I have practical ways to live my life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest, abundantly. That's not a someday somewhere. That's a right now, right here. It, it's, a, it's a call. It's a, it's a challenge to, to recognize the value of the gospel in our present circumstance. How easy would it have been in this letter for Paul to start blaming Philemon or start blaming Onesimus? Well, he didn't know any better. He's just a foolish child running away from you and, and these sorts of things. Or, or you should have known better. I can't believe you're being so oppressive. And He, he could have blamed. He could have assigned all sorts of realities in here, but Paul didn't want to see this situation through the lens of blame, through the lens of, of, of somebody being necessarily responsible for it. He wanted to see this lens through what God might be able to do with this event. And in our lives and in our circumstances, it's so easy to look at our past, to, to look at our personalities, to look at different things that are, are in our hearts and minds that that it's easy to blame. Well, I keep doing this because, well, that's my personality, or I keep doing this because, well, my parents weren't very good to me, or I keep doing this because of, of this, or I'm experiencing this life as less than it should be because of all of these reasons and rules and, and other things that have affected me. And instead, what we need to be looking at is what God might be able to do with your past, what God might be able to do with your personality, what God might be able to do with your shortcomings. You have, a, you have a bad situation here. You have a tense situation here between Philemon and Onesimus. From, from Philemon's standpoint, in his culture, he would have been put up for ridicule and shame. All of his neighbors would have known that Onesimus was gone, and all of his neighbors would have looked at him and said, you're just not a very worthy person, are you? Were you cruel to your slave? This and, and all sorts of things would have been accusations and, and other assessments would have been thrown at Philemon. But Paul wants us to understand with all that, all that potential shame on Onesimus, all that potential shame on Philemon, that God can do something bigger. God can do something greater. And so the second thing that the gospel does is it brings and can repair 
even hopeless situations. Here you have, at least at, at, at this point in the writing of the letter, you have a runaway slave. You have a man in jail, Paul. And you have a man whose social standing has been hurt. What can God do with that hopeless situation? There, there's three, from world's perspective, there's three losers here. From the mindset of the Roman culture, these are three people who do not have it together and who are without a future. <coughs> but grace steps in and says, I can do something magnificent with this situation, with this circumstance. Remember, the power of the gospel isn't is not in saying it doesn't matter. Grace is not, as I've said before, some, you know, godly shrug. Oh, well. Grace is what? Grace is stepping in and engaging that loss and that hurt and that damage and that, that hopelessness and saying, I can change this. To something magnificent. Why do we? Why do we even have this letter? Why do we? Why is this even in our Bibles? Because grace did something wonderful with the situation. Because God did something amazing with the situation. From human standpoint. This is just an exchange between three losers who, well, whatever. But from God's standpoint, this is an exchange that reveals something magnificent. The power of the gospel. You see, Onesimus is mentioned one other time in the New Testament. At the end of Paul's letter to Colossians, he mentions that he is sending Tychicus who he says, my beloved brother, trustworthy minister, and fellow slave in the Lord, together with Onesimus. A trustworthy and beloved brother who is one of you. What a sentence. This is a man who was a slave. This is a man who was lesser than. This is a man who was looked upon as worthless. His name was probably even used ironically in his culture. But at the end of Colossians, Paul says, he's one of you. He's one of you. And not only that, but we have a, a letter from an early church father named Ignatius, writing in 110, about 110 A.D., so about 50 years after this. And he, in his letter, he identifies the bishop of Ephesus 
a town not too far from Colossae, not too far from where this is unfolding. This bishop, he says, is, is an, an elder statesman, a person who's been in Christ for a long time. And he's, he's influential and he's important and he's, he's, he's playing a major role in the spreading of the gospel in that region. And then he tells us that this bishop's name is Onesimus. Onesimus goes from being a slave on the run, without a future, without hope, to being a leader of the church in the very region that he had previously served as a slave in. That's the gospel. That's the gospel at work. And some of you here today, you're looking at your past, or maybe you're looking at your present. And you're saying, who am I? I don't really matter. I'm not all that significant. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just a student. Or, you know, I, I just have a nine-to-five job. Or I don't have a job at all. Or, or you know, my, my relationships, all my relationships are broken. No, nobody is there for me. Nobody connects with me. Or, or maybe you just... Life's okay, but it's not anything great. And you're just wondering, what about me? And I want to tell you that the same gospel that trained, transformed Onesimus' situation and circumstance is available to you. And those of you who have accepted that and are, and are moving forward in that and are growing in that, I want to tell you that God has a plan and a purpose for you in your situation, in your environment. A plan that's bigger than you can imagine. A plan that's, that's more important than you can realize. Paul writes elsewhere that he's confident of one thing, that the God who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And I want you to understand, if, if you've given your life to Christ, He's going to be faithful to complete it. He's going to take your life. He's going to take your circumstance. He's going to take your failures. He's going to take your limitations, and He's going to use them for His glory if you will let Him. If you'll let him guide you, if you'll let him move in you, if you'll let him direct your circumstances in your life. That's what the gospel can do. I grew up in a family that for generations was nothing but, but blue collar. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with blue. I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of my background. But nobody in my family had ever even gone to college. Okay, my dad had nine siblings. Okay. That's just crazy. Just saying that's kind of I have I have over fifty first cousins on my dad's side. Just my dad's side. Okay. None of them 
had gone to college. Then in my generation, my level, a few tried college, got their college degrees. It's great. I was the first to get my master's, and I'm the first to get my PhD. And I don't say that as a testimony to my greatness. You all know my limitations. But I learned a while back, my parents had never told me. I learned it from an aunt, actually. That my parents from a very young age saw me going this route. Saw God using me to be a professor of Christian studies. They never gave me any hint to that at all. But they saw it, and they had communicated to to his his sister, my dad's sisters. And the reason they saw that, my dad told his sister, was because of what God was doing in my life after I had accepted Christ. The change in my understanding of the Bible, the change in my understanding of of things, it was I was just different. I was I was eight when I came to Christ. You know, I didn't give up drinking and smoking and chewing and all those other things. I didn't walk away from those sorts of things. But there was a change. That's the gospel. And I've been able to to teach in in places all over the world. In Asia, in Europe, in Africa. Not because I'm great, but because my God is. And I want you to understand that God is has a purpose for you, and, and it may not be, you know, may not even be what you see it as right now. But God has a purpose for you if you will but surrender to Him and let Him direct your life. And a big part of the surrender that I think needs to take place in some of our hearts, including mine in certain cases, is evident here in the book as well. And that is the change the gospel brings us brings, calls us to reconciliation with one another. At the heart of Paul's exposition on the gospel and what it does and and the change it can bring, Paul asks Philemon to forgive Onesimus, to accept him back as a brother. And I'm convinced that a, a large part of why we don't see God's gospel working in us the way it should it's because we're holding grudges against people we should have let go of long ago. And we're not in fellowship. We're not in relationship that we should be in. Paul says, I want you to forgive because, not out of obligation, but because of out of your appreciation for the forgiveness you found in Christ. And that's the heart of the gospel. As we, as Christ, as God forgives us, we forgive others. And I think there very much is an economy, a, a, a work situation circumstance in our lives where God withholds blessings, where God withholds the full force of the gospel in our lives because we have refused to forgive people who have wronged us. God has forgiven us 
of so much. How do we dare hold on to grudges and anger and resentment over things that were done to us by others? I can't change hearts. I can't change minds. But I have a Heavenly Father who can and who does and who will. And what he calls on us to do is to take that transformation that he's brought into our life and to enact it in our relationships with others. To forgive, to let go, to move beyond. To take those hurts that we're feeling. To acknowledge the real hurts. To acknowledge damage really has been done. And then to say, I forgive anyway. I'm not going to hold that to that person's account. Forgiveness, as I've said, is not a shrug. It's an active engagement with the wrong that's been done and saying we're going to move past that. This morning, I, I want to ask you first, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you experienced the power of the gospel in your life? Have, have you taken that, that, that first step? Have you experienced that first moment when he changes you, when he transforms you, when he renews you and restores you to the person you were designed to be? If not, why not? Why are you holding on to a past and to an experience and to a reality that does nothing but damage you and hurt you and keep you from being what God designed you to be? Especially when the answer is as simple as calling upon the name of Jesus to come in and to take control, to be the boss, to lead you, to guide you, to be you're number one. Secondly, I want to ask if, you, if you're here and you have experienced that. Are you experiencing the continued growth, the maturation, the, the joy and the peace that the gospel offers? And if not, why not? What are you holding on to that you should have let go of? What are you focusing on that you should have moved past? God has renewed you. He's restored you. He's transformed you. Walk in that. Live that. It's total. It's real. It's practical. Let that become a part of your experience in life. Forgive those who have harmed you. And in so doing, enact or express in a very real way, the forgiveness that you've experienced from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your power and your majesty. I thank you for the gospel, the good news that you've done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that you've called us to a new life, a, a new situation, a new everything. 
God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's not experienced that newness, that they would surrender to your leadership. They would surrender to your drawing and they would experience the life you alone can offer. But God, I especially want to lift up my brothers and sisters and myself here this morning and the things that we're holding on to that we shouldn't let go of. The grudges, the anger, the resentment of past hurts, the failures, the inadequacies, the limitedness that we sometimes focus on. Lord, help us to see what you can do with each of our situations. And help us to see the power of forgiveness in changing our situations and those that we hold those grudges against. Lord, move in our midst. Direct us according to your desires. And it's in Christ's name I pray these things.